0: Evening, everybody. It's Tuesday night, the twenty-sixth of September, for episode one hundred and five of So What's Been Happening. This has been one that's uh, it's been in the making for a little while. Um, I've caught this this guy uh, only a couple of years ago. I really came across his music. To be fair, um, put out a killer album uh, and as a debut album. And after all these years, a debut album. Who would have thought? But uh, Jeb Cardwell's his name. Um, now I could come up with this big intro. Uh, to talk talk him up, but I really don't need to, because once you're here, uh, we're going to play a few clips once we talk to Jeb, but play a few clips and uh, talk about Jeb and his music career and what's been going on in his life, what else he does outside of music as well. Um, And it's a really exciting time for Jeb, no doubt. Uh, Post-lockdown, the world has changed, and Jeb's back out there playing killer shows, including this Thursday night, uh Lully Tavern is your spot. So get down to Richmond. Uh don't tell me you got anything on because it's a it's uh the day before the day off. Um and who knows? Uh Dan Andrews might turn up. He's got nothing on now. So um who knows? Uh there'll be a free beer. I'll even buy him a beer for giving it up um and getting us getting us back out into the real world. Who knows? To be fair to Dan um did a good job in a probably tough situation to be perfectly honest. Copped a lot of sledging um Where Which side, no matter which side of the political fence you're on, it's kind of irrelevant. I think anyone that would have gone through what he went through uh, in a super tough time, um, other than the massive deficit we're going to be in. But anyway, that's irrelevant. Let's forget about that for tonight. Um, It's uh, the Don after Brownlow night. Big surprise um, with Lockie Neal winning the Brownlow again. Fantastic effort to see him come... Come up and um, against injury and all sorts of things. Uh, get to play in a grand final this weekend as well against Collingwood. So that'll be a cracker. But uh, on to better things. We bring up the great, and I'm calling him the great, Jeb Cardwell. Welcome to the oh, show, mate.
1: Yay. <laughs> Big intro. Thanks, mate. That, yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. You know, I'm great sometimes. <laughs> Not so great other times. Nah, anyway. Thanks, mate.
0: Uh, fantastic to have you on, mate. Part of episode yeah. 105
1: um, we uh, started, this,
0: we yeah, started yeah. this in a phase of, uh, a phase of lockdown, mate. It really kicked off and it was really just to chat, chat to some friends and mates and, um, find out what was going on. And obviously the music world crashed around us, uh, and was shut down very much in that time. So we invited a couple of music, musician friends on art friends, uh, friends from pubs, all sorts of things. And we just literally had a chat about life and all, yeah. the, obviously that period hopefully is behind us now. um, Finally, after a couple of years, there's a bit of confidence now in the market. Um, Although it's the new norm, it's very different to what it used to be. Um, It's an exciting time to be back out playing music again, isn't it, Jeb?
1: Oh, definitely. And I've noticed, uh, by the way, thanks a lot for having me on the show, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Um, But yeah, I've even noticed that uh, there's more bands than before COVID. It feels that way. People have come out swinging. You
0: know, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah. I had a chat to a young band, up and coming band, Arabella and the Heist. I'm not sure if you've seen these guys around, but they're a little four piece Melbourne, uh, pretty hard rock band. And and we were talking about exactly that bands that were born in COVID, bands yeah. that died in COVID, um, and then what's come out the other side. There's been some awesome things emerge out of the dust that was COVID and the lockdowns. So it was great for some people. Uh, mm. Obviously, songwriting um, outlets. Being played, playing music, connecting with music in all parts of the world that they probably hadn't done before. So it wasn't all bad.
1: um, It wasn't all bad. No, definitely uh, there were some silver linings. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, Um, mate, we're going to start off
0: with your very first memory of music for you. What was it, mate? How long ago? Obviously, forget how long ago. Let's just talk about what it was and how roughly how old you were when you
1: remember it. Oh, first memory of, of music. Well, the thing is, there was my dad played, oh, something just came through. Sorry about that if you heard that, everyone. Um, I mean. My dad, uh, it's in the blood, I think, because my, my dad was a singer, songwriter, guitarist, and he, you know, he just had the desire to perform and he ended up um, hosting the first live Music television show in Australia called the Country and Western Hour. So he was compare on that for years before he went off and did news reading and stuff. But yeah, there was always a guitar around the house, and you know Tony Joe White, JJ Cow Records, James Taylor. You know, so I, I grew up on that kind of diet. Dad playing acoustic and listening to all this really cool music. And um, yeah, it was, I the Beatles. I was introduced to the Beatles. Probably, I mean, I would have heard them, but I didn't really re- realize who they were till I was about eight or nine. I moved from Australia to Singapore, and uh, my mum bought me a Walkman. A Walkman. This is the '80s, so I'm walking around with a Walkman and this whole set of the Beatles catalog on tape that we got down, at, you know, like the black market <laughs> in Singapore. Yeah. We could buy the whole catalog for like two dollars. So, like that. so I walked around listening to the Beatles and I loved them and I soaked them up. Um, but there was no guitar playing going on. Um, I didn't really pick up the guitar till I was 15. There was um, a single that I heard when I was 15 and that's what made me want to learn the guitar. Um, we, I was living in England at that stage. Mum's English. Uh, we moved around a lot because parents split and the um, her new fella got jobs overseas so we're in england in this house and uh the owners they were in south africa they left all their belongings there so i'm 15 and i'm rifling through the records and uh discovered this old single by big bill brunzi he's a uh blues man from the 50s i think in 50s mainly was his his period yeah so anyway, I put on this single of Big Bill Bruins, just a man and his guitar, and I was totally floored by what I was hearing. I had the headphones on too. It was just me and this single. And, uh, yeah, it, like, pierced my soul. I was just, holy cow, what is this? So I was going through a hard time at the time. So I think it spoke to me, it really spoke to me at that point in time, it was just like we collided. And I thought, shit, I have to learn how to do that. So that's when um, it really started happening.
0: So that that was guitar kicking off for you. When did did the singing component come in for
1: you? um, Oh, yeah, the singing. Well, so 15, I um, pursued the guitar. I already knew a few chords because my parents tried to give me um, guitar lessons when I was seven, but I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically picked it up again seven years later, but. Um the singing, I was 18 and I wanted to go out and do a a gig. You know, I thought the next step is to go out and perform live. So So I recorded a demo tape and just me singing with my guitar on this demo tape. I don't know where that tape is, but I bet you I sound bloody awful. But I figured at the time it was good enough to go and try and get a gig. So I rang a few places and one responded. And they gave me a gig the next day um, after going down there and talking to the the bloke who owned the joint. He put on the tape with me sitting there. It was all very weird, all very weird, strange yeah. new territory. And and he said, Do "You want to play tomorrow night?" I was shitting my pants, I could tell you. But then was, it was that? Of me where in. was that, Chip? Well, I was living in Adelaide then. That's where I was born. Yeah. I'd come back from England. I was living uh, in Adelaide with Dad. And uh, that was at Henley Beach at a venue called Moby Dick's Tavern, just on the beachfront. Yeah. Yeah, Um, really cool. Yeah. Um, And obviously a
0: demo at that time, but uh, do you remember any covers you played at the time?
1: I remember one. I did that one, Parchman's Farm. Right. Uh, I couldn't play it to you now. Actually, don't have the guitar here, but uh, it's it's an old... Blues standard, Parchment Farm, yeah. Yeah. So uh,
0: blues, 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 obviously. It was all all blues, yeah, 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 basically. Obviously blues blues was a a big influence. um, Yeah, that's
1: what what sucked me into wanting to learn guitar and I was on a blues train. (laughs) I needed to find a blues mentor actually because Dad had taught me all he knew, but I needed more. But I did find a blues mentor about a year after – really started learning guitar properly and that's when i met chris finnan backstage and he offered to give me guitar lessons he's adelaide based guitarist he's really good have you heard of chris finnan actually i've heard the name yeah 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 he's amazing yeah yeah um yeah very he's cool in chain you know uh yeah Chain that aussie blues band yeah yeah absolutely yep
0: um the first concert you went to was it wasn't a good one don't uh don't, don't change it up just to make it a good one. But if it's a bad one, you can roll it out too.
1: Well, there's a few. I, my mum took me to see Ralph McTell when I was about seven. I remember mm. falling asleep. And I remember there's this guy just with an acoustic guitar sitting in front of us, hardly any people. Well, it didn't seem like many to me. And we're all just sitting in chairs at this university, Flinders University in Adelaide. Mm. I remember this guy wearing a, what I now know is a Terry Towling hat. It was a white yeah. Terry telling it, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was Ralph yeah. McTell. Uh, but the first concert I took myself to see, rock and roll concert, was the Black Crows' Southern Harmony tu- uh, tour at Thabuton Theatre in Adelaide. Yeah, well, that's a good one. Amazing,
0: that's, that's yeah. definitely a good one. Um, and uh, at keeping that first uh, tradition, the first album or CD, uh, probably would have obviously album for you. But uh, when when are we talking? what year and do you remember what it was that you played with your own money? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I do. Um, shortly after I discovered Big Bill Brunsey, that single, I needed more of that. So I was rifling for, you know, I discovered Robert Johnson straight away after that, but I went to the record Shore, uh, store. <laughs> this is in Brighton, England. And um, I found uh, an LP with Robert Cray, Albert Collins and Johnny Copeland on the front. Yeah. And uh, the cover was just like these three hotshot guitarists with their electric guitars. I thought, well, I'm getting that. <laughs> and uh, that record turned out to be a cracker. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was it. Yeah. It was called Showdown.
0: I dare say it uh, sits in your collection today. Do you know where it is? You
1: know what? I, I don't know where it is. Um mm. I should buy it. Yeah, yeah. that. It again. Yeah, that was a big influence on my, on my guitar playing. I just, you know, the needle back and forth, yeah. trying to work out Johnny Copeland or Robert Cray licks. Yeah. Uh, more Albert Collins or Robert Cray, actually. Yeah. What well, What were
0: those days like, mate? It's it, the kids of today don't really understand what that was like because obviously with YouTube clips and how up close you can get with bands and um, forget the teaching component of it, but. How hard was that? I, I talked to a few um, multiple musicians across uh, different instrument they play um, and how hard it was to try and pick that uh, just by really by sound and feel. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. That's the thing. Hey, um, I guess when you're determined and eager and you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to learn the the guitar, you um, – you know, moving the needle back and forth or stopping the tape, rewinding and starting. It's really tedious and you don't get it in the right spot and it's really bloody annoying, but you just keep doing it because you're so determined. Then you, when you're translating what you're hearing, um, that you get good at it. You, you're a bit shit and you're not sure if you're on the right fret or the right string. You're just playing what you think sounds right. And I think that's really good for people with developing an an ear. Um, Yeah, just an ear in music, just like having a really good ear, um, which I think really helped me. So if I'd had YouTube right in front of me then, you know, I don't know how good my ear would be because listening, stopping and starting and, you know, then progressing to, or stopping and starting records and tapes, I got good at jamming Mm -hmm. um, and I then progressed to jamming with other people. So I had a really good ear for um, listening to what they're playing and, you know, uh, just jumping in and jamming. Jamming is really important. I think learning off YouTube by yourself um, is great and you can get it a long way, but you don't really um, get anywhere with well, you've got to, to perform. If you're going to perform live, you need be a, need to be able to improvise on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know jamming with other musicians is essential, uh, as ja- as well as jamming along with uh, music as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard yeah. to explain. It's hard to put into words, but uh, yeah, it's definitely you know, helped develop that, my ear.
0: Absolutely. You Talk about developing your ear. To me, I put it down as a as similar to a vocal. Um, where you're you're trying to listen for exactly what those words are and you're singing along and you think it's something else, but it's really not. Yeah. And that's when you yeah, talk about right. being off key, you know, a little bit. Um, yeah, definitely. Not so much off key with the singing, but it's never never was hundred percent ripe until you find out, oh, is that what it was? And it's nothing yeah. like well, what I played.
1: Well, that's right. I mean, that that is still happening now. Things I taught myself at that point when I was 16. Um I'll still find out, oh, shit, that's how you do it. I've been doing it wrong for all these years. I don't know if anyone's come across the Joe Walsh doing the whole lot of love lick, but I only discovered that last week, that the proper way to play lot of love.
0: Wow. And how many times <laughs> you play like scrum that out? Yeah.
1: Mate, you know. But um, there's, there's uh, also times where I've worked things out and I've been right. I've been on the money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, go back to learning, people would give me music books and I'd buy those guitar player magazines that had the um, notation in it for famous songs, famous guitarists, you know. Mm-hmm. I'd go to work it out and because I'd taught myself by ear, I'd be following the tab, listening to the music, and I think this tab's not right. This is wrong. So I, it's a good thing learning with your ear because you get to really trust it. And there are so many um, music books out there that teach people how to play songs the wrong way. So having a good ear, you can work out where the, uh, the publisher's gone wrong.
0: Yeah. Mm, yeah. Interesting. All right. I'm going to play a little clip from about a minute of uh, one of your songs, Dreaming of You. Um, it's oh, an okay. Cracker and i uh, this is shot by me, so forget the uh, how good the video is. But it was yeah. done at George Lane for one for your album launch.
1: Oh yeah, okay, cool. All
0: right, I'm going to play. Nice. Here you get a chance for the, see a bit of magic of Jeb you. <laughs>
1: can't <laughs> stand I haven't seen that
0: yeah, uh I cut that little line in there purposely. Um what a great great couple of lines in that song too, Jeb. Um uh, cool, thanks mate. I don't want to live I'll like this this. stuff yeah. up there. No, exactly. <laughs> you picked a good um, bit. <laughs> who would know? Uh yeah, as you said about the info, um one thing I noticed in your band, it kind of almost feels like a bit of impro with some of the jams, although I've heard you kind of multiple times and it's it's kind of nailed. For me, it's nailed every time, and I'm not a guitarist, so uh, that's kind of the beauty of, of playing with great musicians. So, just tell us a little bit about some of the guys in the band. Uh, because I know, mate, it's a killer lineup.
1: Oh, it's, I'm privileged to be able to play with guys uh, of this caliber, and um, yeah, I count myself lucky, I tell you. Uh, and they we're all friends, which is oh, <laughs> it's not, I'm not getting emotional as my voice yeah. breaking up. I, yeah. I'm a bit tired, it was a late night, <laughs> but sure. um. Yeah, no, we're all friends. It's great playing music with friends and uh, they're really talented. So we've got uh, Tim McCormack on bass, who I've known for about 20 years, and uh, Mick Hubbard on guitar. He's a great guitarist. Um, He's played with Spencer P. Jones and uh, he's playing with Ella Hooper at the moment. Going back to Timmy, yeah, Timmy's um, used to – he plays with Sean McMahon. He was in Downhill's home. Um, he's playing with Penny Eichinger as well at the moment. Uh, and then we've got Roger Bergadaz on drums, who's just played with everybody. He's playing with Tex Perkins and Matt Walker. Um, then Brendan McMahon on keys, who... Oh, I can't think of all the acts he's played with. I know he's played with Tracy McNeil. Um and, and now Ryan Oliver has joined the band. He plays keys as well. And he is in a band called Fools, and he's a great singer-songwriter in his own right as well. And how, who have I missed? Oh, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So when the band's full running on all cylinders, is there's six of us, two guitars, two keys, drums and bass. Yeah, that's
0: yeah, nice. Pretty solid. <laughs> pretty solid lineup um solid, do, yeah. do you ever cut that band back and play as as a three threesome or anything
1: um no i would go i've only done five actually a five piece Yep. um hang on we did a gig at the post office we didn't have mick on guitar it was just me and we had one yeah so the, no i've done four most recently the post office hotel How different does it feel?
0: (laughs) How different does it feel, Jeb, with not having someone play, you know, kind of rhythm with you? uh,
1: Yeah. You you do your thing. It it was a little weird because um, we we had one rehearsal before the show, which was good and it was fine. The gig was fine, but I do, you know, miss having that other guitar behind me just sort of, you know, keeping the foundation of the rhythm there. Um, So it makes you play a bit differently. When you haven't got that, your soloing is probably a little more, uh, just a bit more rhythmical. I remember that night I was a lot more energetic uh, with my playing. I was, yeah. When mixed there, I'm kind of more laid back. I play a bit less. So I remember I was I was busier, more energetic, and um, I probably had a little bit more gain on the guitar that night too. I gave it heaps. <laughs> It was good it was fun though. Blew the doors off
0: the post office. Good to see. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going I had this one for a little bit later. I'm going to bring it up now. Um, just a little bit of that magic for you, Jeb, uh, and playing with Michael Hubbard um, and oh, just a, yeah. one of the solos from George Lane. Thanks. Yeah, it uh, gets a bit loose and crazy towards the end Yeah,
1: um That's a relatively new song. It's not on the album. That's called Make a Sound. It's quite psychedelic. So, yeah, at the end, it's just this psychedelic cacophony.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. And just on that, I um, know uh, the gig I saw you at recently at the gym not too long ago, uh, it was very much a psych. A psych rock night. Um, Psych rock's obviously part of, uh, you know, kind of what you're feeling at the moment and the band's feeling. Just tell us a little bit about how that's kind of come into your um, genre and and any other influences that have come into that.
1: Yeah, I I guess it is a bit more psychedelic now, the band, than it has been in the past. I think um, that's all comes from my background in learning guitar, uh, going back to how I talked about jamming with people. Mm. Um, so when I started guitar, there were years, like y- literally years, you know, in my 18 through all the 20s of going around to mates' houses, you know, getting a cart and a beer, <laughs> jamming and uh just making stuff up and we all found that a lot of fun and the people that were watching us found it fun too so I've kind of always wanted to keep this sort of jam aspect uh in in my set uh mm-hmm. because it it feels good for me it's rewarding for me I I don't like just like playing the same thing all the time I like to let li- leave places in the songs where we can sort of express ourselves because we really enjoy it and I think the audience enjoys it. Um, The other trio that I'm in called Backward Creatures, I don't know if you've seen us, uh, but we do that at every gig and they have a similar background of just when they learnt their instruments, it was all just jamming, jamming, jamming. So when, when that trio Backward Creatures formed, That's what we did, and our fans know that that's what we do live. I mean, we have songs that we perform just that, uh, you know, a chord structure, an outline, but we go places within that structure at every gig, and we don't even know uh, what we're going to do. So I'm trying to keep that sort of a bit of that backward creatures element in my own songwriting. Um, Obviously, it's, it's, it's harder to do because... My original stuff's way more structured. Um, The Backward Creatures, we're doing cover songs, really, but just, you know, messing them up, doing no one would recognise them for what they were probably, half the cover songs. But, yeah, I think the psychedelic thing, uh, I just love it. Yeah, it's a really expressive um, style of music. You you know, you've got all these toys on your pedal board in front of you. Mm. You know, it's good to be you able know. to use it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um have you found your pedal board grow over the years or just interchange? Yeah. You know, it has grown lately, uh, because of the Jeb Cardwell band. Yeah. Yep. Um I because of that sort of psychedelic aspect we've incorporated, which we all really love, um, means that we need sort of, you know, rotary effect, phaser, um, delay. Got the wah pedal that's always been around my wah pedal but you know it, a few years ago I, I went off pedals completely as well i was like oh fuck pedals um and i was just plugging straight into the ant which is a really great sound mm. but when you want to take off and go to the psychedelic area <laughs> yeah. get really psychedelic it's sort of a bit limited so yeah, yeah. pedals are,
0: are good and any kind of psych band in particular that you've kind of drawn influence from, really?
1: Uh, you know, yeah, you it, it, too, all the psychedelic stuff I, I do is really influenced, I think, by Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, yeah, and and Jimmy Page. Um, the yeah, that's it. Just the the, the early stuff, really. I know the psychedelic. Um, bands like from the that were, who were they the the 90s that one the stone roses yeah. they got a bit psychedelic yeah um 60s though there's heap of psychedelic bands and i can't think of their names at the moment mm. um but yeah it's mainly Jimi hendrix
0: yeah well it's not a bad place to start yeah yeah, and, and page as well um all right let's touch on the album mate um it's a it's one of my favorite albums of that of the year to be honest uh, it's not just this year it's kind of drawn into a few years for me which has been really cool um, my friend defiance uh, tell us a little bit about the album cover first and foremost it's very simple but very classic
1: yeah thanks mate um that is a piece of art by Lisa Sorghini. she's pretty much a world renowned photographer now she's like well not world renowned but they She's known overseas and um, yeah, she's, she's amazing. So that's, that's artwork combined with photography, obviously, that um, it was the bass player in the Jeb Carver band, Tim McCormack. He said, um, what about we just have a piece of art? So you could almost hang your record on the wall. And I thought, yeah, great. Cause I didn't want my face on the, on the record. I'm, I'm not really into that sort of yep. approach. Um, and so he found that and he said, what about this? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. Lisa Sorghini a friend and, um, I like to keep things in the family, so to speak within the circle. And, um, she let me use it amazingly. Um, she's, she's amazing. Yeah. She just said, go for it. Yeah. I'd love you to use it. So I'm indebted to her for that. That's, that's incredible. Um, so I chose the title of the album based on that artwork. I didn't actually have a title. Um, I picked the artwork and um, this was just racking my brains for a title for weeks. And it just hit me one day. I thought, oh, I think about the, I was really thinking about the image. I thought maybe the there's something in that image that can help me come up with the title. And that uh, ripple uh, on the lake in the sky, you know, it's reversed. That's sort of defying reality. Um, and a lot of my songs are about just defying the odds and played around with defiance and thought, yeah, defying the odds. It's... And I feel sort of defiance has been a bit of a, a friend for me Bit of an ally just being defiant you know we all it's worked for me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that yeah i just came up with that name in the shower
0: yeah, it's a nice. lot of thinking in the shower <laughs> all the best work's done
1: all <laughs> yeah. right well, we're
0: going to play a little bit uh clip from the same gig uh without goodbye thanks
1: For a better place than the one you left behind.
0: who are, another killer line in there too um, isn't that isn't that an interesting line that uh, you mentioned there that how was I supposed to know effectively um, from the outside you seem fine what is what's such a poignant line uh, for oh. for today's world really um, you never really know what's on the inside of what's happening in someone's mind is it oh, that song for you
1: Oh, well okay that song. Uh, I wrote after a friend passed, and um, his name was Andrew Bailey. And uh, he was uh, a character around town. I, I don't know if you met him, but Andrew Bailey, uh, when I first moved to Melbourne, I, I met him. And uh, he was a little older than me, so I uh, mean, 10 years older. Um, he loved live music. He, he played music himself. He was an engraver for Tiffany as well. Um, he uh, published a book on um, breweries in Victoria as well. But, yeah, just an avid lover of music, really passionate guy, great bloke, lots of fun. Get this call one day, he's, he's gone. Um, it was just sudden and uh, we don't think it was planned, Um, but anyway, he left without saying goodbye to anyone, and, yeah, it was was a really sad time for um, lots of people. Like, he knew hundreds of people in Melbourne, Mm. and uh, I I was inspired to write the song Um, because you feel like when someone uh, possibly was going through a hard time, um it was it was very likely he was, but he seemed, you know, he seemed fine. you you, you ask people how they're going and they say, Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, none of us really tell the truth because I guess a lot of people don't want to burden people with that either. Yeah. 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 You know, you don't want to be a negative kind of yeah. So if you're going through a hard time, it's something that you sort of have to um be able to talk to with really close friends about i imagine yeah so yeah i don't know what was going through his mind but um i imagined um he was having a, a hard time yeah
0: well, as you know uh sometimes in the, even in the closest circles don't recognize those kind of signs um, yeah, yeah. going on in someone's life so, this ones yeah yeah like you said that line there i wish i could have seen it coming um yeah, yeah what a line
1: yeah i wish i could have seen it coming um yeah, you really do because you would have done something, you know. Yeah. You yeah. would have. You, you would have reached out, um, or gone, and you think, oh, maybe what if I'd gone and visited him more, hung out more? Could you know? Right, who knows? Yeah. But um. Yeah. Yeah. It's. No, I, think uh,
0: it's- uh, I think if anything, mate, it's a, it's a really good kind of awareness type song now. Um, and the more you kind yeah, of talk yeah. about it, the more you listen in, that song's. You know, got some beautiful touch because it's got such a powerful, strong uh, yeah. vocal to it. So, um, yeah, 20, Thanks, 20, 20 greats.
1: Yeah. yeah now, there's one line in the song that um, I sing, which is comes from one of Bailey's lyrics. So, he was a songwriter as well. And he uh, performed this song on the Black Les Paul. I think it was at the Labor in Vain, <clears throat> just solo, he played it. And the lyrics were really good. And I remember him just, it was a dark song though, but I remember him saying, or singing in the song, he'd press his face to the window to watch it rain, which to me is a kind of a really sort of melancholy, most sad sort of picture, Mm. Uh, especially in the context of the song I was hearing. So I wanted to get that across. I couldn't remember the words exactly, but I wrote, You'd press your cheek against the window to watch it rain. Mm. Um, so that's my, that was my translation. Yeah, yeah. A, no, it's a,
0: it's a it's a great album. There's so much light and shade uh, across the whole album. What's what's the is it was it one in the making for a long time for you? Uh, obviously debut album. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, it was. A time in the journey. Um, we yeah. kind of all come together for you. And Mate, why now, so- Jed? Sorry. And why now? After oh, all these yeah. years of putting putting music out, effectively, yeah, or playing yeah. bands and playing music,
1: mm, that's a good question because um, a lot of songs on that album I'd had for years. Like I'm talking ten years mm. um, that I wrote when I moved to Melbourne. Then none of them were songs I'd written in Adelaide. I really sort of <clears throat> yeah, share housing, wrote wrote maybe two or three songs um about 10 years ago that are on that album. When I when I recorded those songs, they did change a lot though in the studio. A lot of structuring and editing went on in the studio for the really old ones because uh they weren't as mature as my later stuff. But I knew they were good. They just they didn't change a lot. They just changed a bit. So yeah, I had good songs. I'm not prolific. I don't write a lot of songs. I just work on a song I'll write it. I might not finish it completely, but I know it's really good and I'll just keep it there in the bank. So, yeah, I had about, yeah, three really good songs I wanted to put on the album that were 10 years old that I'd kept in the bank. Um, And it was also mainly due to getting older age. And I thought, man, I've got these songs. I was playing them in the Jeb Carble band but had no product. And it was Tim McCormack, the bass player, who really loved – the songs I'd written in this band. I probably only had five originals though when we play live. The rest were covers. Um, And then I would write a few more. And this was like Jeff Carble band was together for five years before I went and recorded the album. But it was Tim that really sort of said, man, these are great songs. You've got to record them. And um, that gave me the sort of confidence because I was, I'd always played for other people. I play on my sister's album. I thought, yeah, I'll do an album one day. But I was like, yeah, when the time's right, you know, um, I'll wait till I've got better songs. I'll wait till I write better stuff. Whereas a lot of people just go and do it. But I'm yeah. a, bit, a bit of a procrastinator. Maybe it was a confidence thing as well. But because Timmy was in my ear, it was really encouraging And I had a band of great musicians. I was like, shit, what am I doing? I'm getting older. I've got this great band. I've got these great old songs that will never see the light of day if I don't get off my ass." Mm -hmm. So when I made the decision, all these other songs started pouring in and I, um, yeah, I, I like, opened the, turned on the valve, you know, and about four or five other brand newies came through for the album. I didn't actually have ten songs that I wanted on the album. I had ten songs but probably only seven that I really liked and I thought, oh, I'll come up with another three. But, man, I you know, I came up with another five or more and um, they made it on the album. The the one about Bailey, actually, uh, we'd recorded all the songs, but I said, no, I want the Bailey one to be on the album. So we went back in the studio and we recorded The Bed with the Jeb Carball band um, and that was, yeah, That was I was so glad we got that one that one in. Um, Mick Hubbard played guitar on that one. We we recorded that bed live. So the Jeb Carbo band, by the way, I should say, it's like only two songs were recorded with the whole band lineup in the studio. Um, The the beds were done just me, the bass, drums, and keys, and then we. yeah, got session musos in, but uh, yeah, just thought I'd, yeah, no, <laughs> great to say, great to was, yeah, yeah, oh, the zone. I'd love Mick to be on more of the album, but I don't know, it just turned out that he sort of joined um, the process later in the picture, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and for you, when did
0: you know that kind of album was, was done and complete? Obviously, first major stress about first album. What is it going to be right? Is it perfect? Is it, what is it? Or And thanks to Timmy for pushing you uh, to get get in studio and and, and make make this happen. But when did you kind of decide that this one was kind of done, done for you and ready to go?
1: Yeah, well, I had decided it was pretty much ready to go when COVID hit. Um, And then it was like, The COVID put the brakes on it. It's like, oh, shit. So we just had um, the finished mixes. They weren't mastered. And so COVID hit, and that was 2019, uh, the start of it. Mm. And I'd been recording the album for four years. I I did it over a long period of time, mainly because, you know, a bit of financial but a bit of also everyone being really, really busy. Yeah. And um, so 2019, it was ready to go, but then COVID hit. And so I just sat on it. I thought, oh, shit, the world, what's going to happen to the world? So I waited it out a year, but during that, before releasing it, I waited a year. Yeah. And during that year, I would drive around. I'd have it on rotation in the car, all the mixes. And I'd listen and listen and listen. And that's when I realised that I hadn't finished some songs because I would hear hooks, melodies, and think, shit, I've got to get in there. So that was a, one of the silver linings we were talking about before, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That happened to maybe half the songs of the album. I realised, shit, there's more production to be done. And uh, I, I went in and I did it, did the production and released the album a year after COVID hit, all very happy with the end result. So thank you, COVID. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and okay. so after
0: after this time, a couple of years on, four years on from now, are you still as happy and proud as the album or were there little things you still ever feel that are never 100% right?
1: Oh, no, I'm... It's funny. Yeah, okay. Maybe when it was first released, there were a couple of those things you're describing. Yep. You know, because I'm really, really fussy about it by that stage. But... I got over them in no time. And now when I listen to it, I can't even tell you what those things were. I'd have to yeah, think yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really proud of it. I love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. You- and and obviously being out playing it live uh, quite often now, you probably throw those little extra little bits in you don't even realise you're doing um, that aren't exactly as per the album, possibly. So um, yeah. it's funny how those little magic sessions kind of come together. And and speaking of magic sessions, I just want to t- touch on a clip you Put together from Blood Moon. Um, it was in the studio. It's a this is a real cool vid um, shot at the Union Street studio, uh, not long ago. Oh, one, so. yeah, yeah. Just want to play a little bit of that, just to kind of right. show people that aren't familiar with music and the, and the recording process or how how an album kind of comes together. Um, this yeah. is a bit of a live session, so here we go. Beautiful, Jeb. Um, so nice to see that kind of magic and chemistry that you can kind of see when everyone's – not necessarily are all songs kind of recorded like that and very much not in a lot of instances, but it's cool to see when everyone's got all their gear and mic'd up and uh, and all the bits that go together and putting an album together. Um, there's definitely yeah. some magic in the room.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I like watching that myself when I see um, other bands just in the studio just yeah, recording a live sesh. Yeah, I'm going to do that again. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Matt
0: Gao actually put together a, a kind of little mic'd up, full mic'd up session and and videoed oh, yeah? and, and kind of put it out as an online stream the other day. And it was oh, a ticketed man. event. It was really cool. Uh, you could buy a ticket, oh. check it out. Um, you got to download the vid. And also he was in the back commenting, you know, and, and interacting with the people as they kind of absorbed the music. So it was really well done actually. Um, just a, yeah. a different way to do it, different idea. Um, let people in yeah. on, on a little bit of that behind the scenes. So thanks for, uh, thanks for doing that clip for us. Not that oh, it was for me, but it's, it's for, out there for everyone
1: now. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. I'm glad you like it, mate. I'll do I'll yeah. another one for sure. Yeah.
0: What's one thing, mate, you could give a little bit of advice to, you know, artists out there and young artists especially on, on just the, the recording process, I guess? Um, when do you know you've kind of got something that's at a point where it's kind of ready to record?
1: Mm. Mate, you know what, well, like I was thinking of this before and you asked me a question before. Uh, when you're recording, well, I found when I was recording my debut album, you know, you, you're quite nervous about, I mean, I've recorded other albums with my sister and things. So, you know, I knew about the process, but when it's your own stuff, yeah, it's a whole different um, dynamic, it's a totally different feeling. And I was really worried about how it's all going to come together. How, how's it going to sound? You know, am I going to record the beds and start recording and not like what I hear? There was one point where I wasn't liking what I heard, you know, and um, uh, you've, you've got to speak up. You got to speak up. You got to take it in a direction that you that you want it to go. where well, you think you know you want it to go. It's certainly not the direction that you're hearing. You says change direction. You got to speak up. Um, and you know, I only did that one time really. Um, during the process, well, I was lucky. I had musicians that really have a good ear, understand. Um, you know, what to play, what's needed. Um, they understand my music. They know where I'm coming from. So I was really lucky. I, I didn't have any major issues with directing uh, or telling guys what to do. I, only just, you know, friendly suggestions. Everyone was really on point. Um, so there was just only one time when I was like, oh. I think when I first started uh, one song, I was just like, oh, shit, this isn't, we changed direction and then it was fine. Um, and I, you wonder whether that's going to happen again and again, but it didn't, you know, it just really flowed. So I think um, you've, I think for young people going into a studio, um, it, it kind of depends on their situation. But if, they're, if they've got, you know, good musicians behind them, um, you should trust in them and just give, you know, friendly suggestions and nudges to the sort of direction you want to go. But if you don't know what direction you want to go, just let the song do its thing. And also you part of you has got to be, um, I think, accepting of where it's going. It's okay if it's going in a direction you didn't expect, as long as it's a, still sounding good. Um that's okay too. Um, because you, you don't want to stifle the flow either. It's, it, 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 it's quite tricky actually. Yeah. Yeah. You do play sort of this mental, you know, mind game with yourself. Um, but yeah, just try and let it flow and then, uh, trust yourself when you know you don't like something, speak up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's a tricky one. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Oh, thanks for that. Um, just give me one of your absolute must-haves on the road, on uh, when you're touring for gigs and out out and about in bands. What's obviously without the obvious, uh, you know, the the magic of the guitars. But what's what's an absolute must-have you got to have with you on the road?
1: Oh, um, what do I take with me on the road?
0: Is there something that's that's just a non-negotiable? It's it's got to be it's got to be there, or you you kind of really struggle with it.
1: Oh, you know. I, well, yeah, I've got my guitars with me on the road. You know, that's and and my clothes. <laughs> yeah. So there isn't some sort of memento I'd take, um, but there was one, and I don't take that with me out on the road anymore. In fact, I don't even know where where it is. Um. But the thing is, yeah, it was a crystal. And yeah. Uh, I I think it might. was green. It was a screen stone and it would be in my toiletries bag and it was a safe travel stone. Yeah, yeah, I got one of those. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So uh, there would be many times I go out on the road, like when I went out on the road with Casey Chambers, I think it was last year. Um, Yeah, it wasn't last year. Shit, time goes so fast. Yeah, it was last year. I did about 20 gigs with her. You know, I'd have to make sure I had um, the stone, the safe traveling stone. So, so nothing went wrong, you know. And um, I let go of it because part of me also doesn't like being superstitious either. Because you get,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> you know, everything goes wrong if you don't have your stone. I'm like, oh, fuck, you know. So, I, I, I think I'm a bit less superstitious now. I just try and let things go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I think it was the stone. That's the only thing that I used to have to take with me. And now yeah. it's just clothes and guitars.
0: Yeah, cool. You've broken that barrier now, so yeah, been, I've broken uh,
1: it, man. Yeah, no, I'm
0: good. You know, let it do its thing.
1: Uh, and an absolute favorite guitar. I will have to be my Stratocaster, the the blonde one in those yeah. clips you played. Mm-hmm. That's my dearest one, the one that. Uh, Means the most to me, yeah, because that was the first one, the first real guitar that I bought with my own money. The first guitar I did buy with my own money, I should, <laughs> so that was a lot, but it, was, it wasn't it was a Fender Strat or a Gibson, it wasn't a real guitar. Um, it was a Vantage Avenger, it was called, <laughs> right? <And> it sounds cool, <laughs> and I, cool, and I, I don't. If I was to see it now, I know what it, I remember what it looked like. I don't like it at all. It's definitely not my taste. But you know, just, I was so eager back then when I was 16, 17 that I didn't give a shit as long as it had six strings. So I had a samurai sword that my stepfather got me at an auction in England. I took it back with me to Australia thinking, I'm going to sell this sword, use the money to get um, an electric guitar. And I did. So I got this Vantage Avenger. <laughs> With money from a samurai sword, and then that um, broke in half because I was spray painting it with a mate at a share house, and it fell off the hook and smashed in two pieces on the on the on the, <laughs> the cement. But I had enough money to go and buy a real guitar, which my dream was to get a black strat, and I found one on um, uh, what was it back then? The Trading Post. Yeah. Went around and bought it, this black strat, which is a 1962 reissue. And um, it's blonde now because the black started peeling off and the blonde uh, became apparent that it was blonde underneath. And I thought, oh, shit, that's cool. So I rubbed the what was left of the black off and um, now it's blonde. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. That, that's the one. I don't, it, it, does, it doesn't have a name. I, I haven't named my guitars. I tried yeah. to, but eh, I'm, not, I'm not a guitar a guy. Yeah, sure,
0: <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> and speaking of your love of guitars and uh what you do, mate, we have to bring up this clip. Um oh. one of these picks and uh and a cool little signature uh logo too for Melbourne guitar repair. Tell us yeah, a little mate. bit about that, mate. Um That pays that, the bills. <laughs> that's the daily love. Yeah. But what a you know, what a way to touch and caress and, and re-nurture and do all those beautiful things, mate, to get to, get to guitars that are pretty much
1: a, a very much a piece of you, aren't
0: they? Yeah, man, I, I, it,
1: it's great um, being able to surround myself with guitars. You know, when I decided I wanted to be a guitarist, I just you know, fell in love with music or blues music, especially, and guitars. And then look at me, I've surrounded myself with them now. <laughs> yeah. I, I fixed them and they, and they pay the bills. And uh, the idea is to, you know, have music eventually pay the bills. But mm-hmm. I tell you what, this is a good little, you know, if it's a stepping stone, I'm, I'm happy with it. You know, it, it, it's a really good situation to be able to work for yourself and fix people's guitars and have them get them back and be stoked that their guitars sounding and feeling great. And mm. um, it's great to work on beautiful guitars too. I get some really nice ones, um, which make up for the really shitty ones. Shitty ones. I mean. Have you, you got a uh,
0: have you got a quick story of a of a guitar that was so it's so beautiful that just got absolutely totally smashed or or an issue with it and you had to, it's kind of a
1: bit more than a repair job. Um well there, I don't book in those. Well, yeah, there was one. <laughs> Actually, there's been a couple. In the early days when I started the business, you know, I was just I've got to earn the money, I've I've got to keep this business going. I don't know why I was worrying because it, the business is just taking care of itself. Um, I, a mate of mine had the um, good idea to call, tell me to call it Melbourne guitar repair. He said, call it Melbourne guitar repair. It'll be fine. So really, I called it Melbourne guitar repair and it's taking care of itself. I wish my yeah. music career would just do that, you know, <laughs> like my, my guitar repair business has, Jesus. Yeah. But um, uh, what, what was I saying about the, um, about a, 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 a
0: guitar in particular uh, that either came in smash oh, yeah, that's right. that's it was a big right. issue.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. a neck reset on a Martin D28 acoustic guitar. I took on my first neck reset and it was my last neck, neck reset that I've done <laughs> for a customer. Yeah, yeah, I got it done, um, but, jeez, it, it, it was hell uh, mm. and I needed help with it actually. Yeah, it was stupid of me to take on a job I'd never done before a job of that um you know intricate sort of skill that I'd never done but you know that's what you kind of have to do though when you start a business you throw yourself in the deep end but I threw myself into the very very deep uh, it was too deep yeah yeah, yeah yeah and then you get other guitars too that um you think are going to be fine and then they end up being a can of worms so those ones you can't predict but um I usually get out of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. We're, uh, last question I've got for you, mate. Um, okay. It's a bit of a standard question that uh, one of the boys normally asks, so I'd be remiss of me not to uh, ask it to you as well. Um, the classic dinner party question. Um, it's a table for six, and obviously you're the head of the table. These people can be living or dead, so you can invite five people. Hmm. Um, from any influence, uh, who would they be? It's
1: a oh, tough one, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's going to be some musos in there. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Page would be there. Yeah, JJ Kale would be there. Um, JJ is a big influence on me, which you probably tell by that previous <laughs> clip, Blood Moon. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Jimmy Page, JJ Kale would be there. Um. I've got four to go. Oh. Well, my dad. love my dad to be there. I would love That's to see cool. him again. Yeah. Yeah. And um, oh, who else, mate? Um, Robert Johnson. Definitely Robert Johnson. John- did Johnson. Did I say Johnson? <laughs> Johnson, yeah. yeah. Johnson. Cool. Johnson <laughs> so I'm yeah. getting tired, sorry. That's but, right. yeah, Robert Johnson. Oh, for sure. Um, Two more people at the dinner table. Mm. Oh, have to be my stepfather as well. He's gone as well. Uh, He was a philosopher, and we Uh had some great, deep, meaningful chats together. That would be great. Yeah. Um, So basically, just what have I got now? Musos and parents. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, one to go. Who's who's going to be the the siding? I'd have to have someone really, really, really funny, man. A comedian. I'd have to have Robin Williams. Oh my god. Yeah. Hey. There you go. You, know, you got what's life if you can't laugh your ass off now and then? Jeez. So.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I'd have to have him there. Perfect. <laughs>
0: Perfect. Well, that's a that's a fitting way to end. I think, uh, Jeb, it's been a fantastic chat, mate. Um, thanks for uh, spending some time with us. I know it's uh, a Tuesday night, not long before a gig, really, in a couple of days uh, at Lully Tavern. So, wow. killer poster too, mate. Give that, give this uh, poster art a bit of a pump for me. Who? who um, that mate, for?
1: That's Jim Grimwade. And uh, yeah, Grim Wade poster design. You just yeah, just Google Jim Grimwade if and he can do a well. Obviously, there's the 60s psychedelic vibe, but yeah. um, other styles as well. He's amazing. I can't believe it took me years to discover him, um, but I did, and he's doing every poster for me now on. Um, awesome. Hopefully, yeah, a yeah, couple, um, couple
0: of great ones I've seen him do recently. So uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome to see. So, um, jebcardwell.com Jeb is the website you're jumping on, uh, for all the latest information, get your, get your, uh, vinyl there as well. Um, that's and right, most yeah. importantly, um, latest updates. I noticed the Luli gig wasn't actually on there, Jeb, on the website, but make sure it's, uh, it's all over Facebook anyway. Um, and make yeah, sure you're there.
1: Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm basically running two businesses. Yeah, you got the Melbourne guitar true. and then you got your own stuff. You got to remember all the little things like that. Yeah, putting in the really. Lulu Tavern on your website, but uh, I will do that tomorrow. Now, there
0: you go. <laughs> special special shout out. I'm sure the place will be pumping on a on a public holiday eve. Uh, make sure you get down to Lily Tavern and check out Jeb. Um, yeah, and most importantly, DJ DJ Pistol Pete too. Will and will be. Uh, oh yeah. In a, spinning some tracks first. So he, he, he'll definitely set the scene for you. Uh, Jeb. uh oh, sure.
1: I'm really so, looking forward to it. And thanks yeah. so much for having me on the, on the show to to help promote this gig and, and just talk about me. It feels weird talking about me, but um, thank you for being
0: interested. <laughs> uh, absolutely, mate. Um, And I'm not the only one, mate. This will sit there in the archive of time and, and someone will dig it out over time and find out a little bit more about Jeb Cardwell. So I really appreciate you jumping on, mate. And I'll, uh, I'll see you Thursday.
1: Oh, great. I look forward to it, mate. I'll get you a beer. Look forward to it. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Aaron. See you, mate.
0: Oh, fantastic to have Jeb join us. Um, it's uh, It's been, as I said, a bit of a long time coming. Um, I've wanted to get Jeb on for a while and we just haven't been able to kind of get it to connect at the right time. But uh, I'm going to just touch on, I'll play, play a last bit of a clip from Jeb's, uh, one of the album launches at Brunswick Ballroom. Um, and we're going to kind of play a little bit to this and then and then close off. So thanks for joining us on episode 105 of So What's Been mm-hmm. Happening with Jeb Cardwell. Uh, look forward to another few shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. So stay safe and get out there and see a gig. See you soon. There you go. Jeb Cardwell. See you out there soon.